Not too long ago, I was reading a magazine, flipping through the silky smooth pages when I came across an advertisement. It was for a new game meant to be played on your cell phone, filled with cutesy animal characters and colorful puzzles. At the bottom of the ad was a box that said, get it on the Google Play Store. I instinctively tapped on it with my finger, several times in fact. I don't know what I was expecting, maybe the game would just pop up in front of my face like a hologram from a science fiction movie, but it didn't, of course, because it was paper. This made me realize just how much technology had changed my world. The way my brain interacts with such normal objects like magazines had been influenced by the screens that now live in my house and in my pocket. And I'm not alone. Welcome to the Reconnecting Roots podcast, where we look at the past, present, and future of American progress and culture, discovering our values along the way. I'm your host, Ryan Estabrooks. I'm Gabe McCauley, host of the TV series, Reconnecting Roots. In the television show, we look at the broad overview of a topic, but here on the podcast, we're able to do more of a deep dive. And I'll be your guide throughout our story today. And I'll be out in the field, gathering insights from people all across America. And today, we're looking at our relationship with technology. Are we too dependent on it? Or is it making our world a better place? What happens when we become addicted to the joys and pains it brings us? Now, I know. There's a certain sense of irony discussing tech addiction on a podcast. I mean, there's no getting around it. Without technology, this show wouldn't exist. There are so many moving parts to making this happen. There's the microphone that's standing in front of my face. The headphones pumping sound into my ears right now. There's a cable going from the microphone to a computer, which has a level of processing power almost unimaginable compared to what we had even just 20 years ago. And now, you're listening to this on a cell phone or a computer of your own. This process of recording, distributing, and listening to podcast episodes is a great example of one of the benefits of technology. It's super easy to create things and get them out to people all over the world. And it's often fun to participate in. Who doesn't want to dive into a world of cool news, movies, TV shows, and music on demand? All the time, every single minute of every year, everywhere you go. But where's the line when it becomes too much of a good thing? And how far back does this go? While some people worry about our overdependence on computers today, the truth is we've been dependent on technology for a long time. It's just people don't tend to think of certain inventions as falling under the technology category. Think about the thermometer as an example. How often have you used one to get a temperature reading without questioning the results? Pilots have always depended on their gauges in their planes in order to travel safely. Batteries, both big and small, have been used since the 19th century to power all sorts of things. You can't forget about the light bulb either, which lights up your house and just about every business you go to. But the truth is, most of us aren't addicted to flicking the light switch on and off over and over again. Sure, maybe we're a little too reliant on some of these innovations and have become so used to them that we often forget about them, but we're not addicted to light to the point of distraction. You don't go to a dinner party and chat with a friend while watching them hit the light switch over and over throughout your conversation. But there is something unique about being addicted to, say, checking your cell phone every five minutes. 
We gravitate towards certain addictions for specific reasons, whether we're talking about technology addiction or other types. What makes these new technologies different from the ones we've integrated into our lives in the past? Yeah, I was wondering that too. So we visited Restart Life, which is America's first rehabilitation program that focuses on helping people with addictions to video games, media, and technology. Restart is located outside of Seattle on a beautiful little plot of land full of ferns and evergreens. And while I was talking with one of the co-founders, Hillary Cash, we took a small hike through these woods and you realize why they would choose a location like this for those dealing with tech addiction. We really were comparing it to enchanted woods straight out of some fantasy. I mean, they were lush and green, and it was hard not to be drawn back to nature when you're just surrounded by serene landscapes away from the noise and distraction of technology. And my conversation with Hillary was pretty eye-opening. She's incredibly smart and has a ton of good insights into why tech addiction is so different from anything else. What do you think makes this unique? Anytime there's a life stress or a moment of boredom or a feeling of loneliness or something painful, we have this immediate thing we can distract ourselves with that uh, you know we're carrying around in our hip pockets. Sure. So it's very, very easy to overuse this. She touches on something we can all probably relate to, being able to busy ourselves when faced with life. One of the benefits of having a cell phone is you can take it with you wherever you go. Over time, as more features are stacked on every year, it's becoming more of a drawback. 50% of teenagers in America reported they feel they're addicted to their phones. The average adult checks their phone 110 times a day. Is there anything else you can think of that you might do more than 100 times a day besides breathing? We place such an emphasis on our cell phones that half of adults sleep with their phones close by. I have to admit, I fall into this category myself. Now that my phone has replaced my alarm clock and sometimes even acts as my white noise machine, soothing me to sleep. So why are we becoming so dependent on this relatively new piece of technology? Part of the reason is because cell phone addiction is similar to one of the world's oldest addictions, gambling. According to technology experts, Cell phone addiction and gambling addiction share the same sense and excitement of being randomly rewarded. In gambling, you don't know if you're going to win or lose, or how much money you'll take home or have to give away. With cell phones, the reward is essentially the random texts, emails, and social media updates we may find at any given moment. And you don't know if those texts or updates will be disposable, or if you may come across something that changes your life. These rewards activate small hits of dopamine, which is a chemical in our brain that helps give us a feeling of pleasure. So naturally, when you feel good, you want to keep that feeling going. One second, you're replying back to a text, and then 30 minutes later, you've scrolled through 10 pages of memes on Google. When the cycle starts, it's hard to step off the ride. And when you do finally step off, you might experience negative feelings, such as depression and anxiety, which makes it easier to justify using technology even more. And what's interesting though, is how our brain also pumps out chemicals when we hang out with each other, which Hillary was telling me about. Technology affords us now the ability to communicate in ways that we never imagined, but yet I feel like in some ways we're more alone than we've ever been. There's this 
thing called limbic resonance. If, if you and I are buddies and we are in one another's presence like this, it releases in your brain and mine a whole bouquet of neurochemicals that keeps us well regulated. The online uh, connecting that people are doing is is taking us away from the experience of being face-to-face -face in social interactions. And that's why we're becoming dysregulated. Now, while I was there visiting Restart, I got to hear from some of their members who have gone through the program, such as Charles. He was very open with me about his struggles. I mean, I'd faced a lot of consequences in my life because of my technology use, particularly video games, was kind of my drug of choice. Video games was something mentioned over and over again at Restart. I mean, it makes sense, given that the video game industry brought in almost $135 billion worldwide in 2018. 59% of all Americans play video games. When you look at the demographics of kids between the ages of 12 and 17, that number rockets up to 97%. The average gamer spends nearly six hours each week playing video games, and 12% of gamers claim they're addicted. Because video game and technology addiction is such a new thing, it's been harder to diagnose than more long-standing addictions like alcohol, drug abuse, and gambling. Which also means it can be hard to know when you're addicted yourself. It can be a gradual thing, where maybe an hour or so per day just keeps going up and up. Although there can certainly be events that trigger it. Was it gradual for Charles or was there something big that happened? It was more gradual for Charles. When he looks back on his addiction, he can trace the start of it to a time when he was house-sitting for his brother. He said that when he walked through the home, he came face-to-face -face with the progress his brother had made in his life, which made Charles reflect on his own. I kind of started realizing that you know, I was 27 years old, and I was really no closer to completing any of my life goals than I was five, ten years prior and it was something that I just, I wasn't equipped to handle emotionally. And the only thing I knew to handle it was to start gaming again. And so I downloaded all my games onto my work laptop and I spent literally the entire week gaming. I only left his house twice and both times was only to get food so that I could go back and continue gaming all day, every day. So I wouldn't have to think about myself as a failure basically. Did you notice how Charles casually mentioned he downloaded his games back onto his work laptop? One thing that technology has done over the years is change the way we can access our media. For a long time, the only way you could get new games was to drive out to a store and buy one. Eventually, places started renting them, just like VHS tapes. But even then, they didn't always have the game you wanted in stock. Or they were simply closed when you wanted to play a new game. I myself remember several frustrated nights during the summer in junior high when I beat a game at night and was stuck waiting until the next day in order to exchange it. When internet speed started increasing, game companies were able to solve this problem, pay money, and instantly start downloading the game. And for many out there, it's an incredibly convenient solution. But having such easy access removes the barriers that could have made it harder to act on an addiction. After a while, Charles realized he had a problem, but he had trouble knowing what to do about it or who to contact. Were you able to recognize that you had a problem or did you, did, you know, you have family or community that sort of helped you recognize it? 
I really realized like I, I'm an addict. I, I can't control this and I, I don't know what to do to free myself from it. And so I actually started planning suicide at that point. And I ended up just getting really, really lucky in that my parents came to visit me and my brother in Virginia. They surprised me by just showing up at my apartment and it was very obvious that things were not going well. They didn't know that I was planning suicide at the time, but they basically just sat down on the couch with me and said, hey, we, we can tell you're gaming again, you don't even need to say it. And clearly this is a more serious issue than what we've been treating it as, so what do we need to do to beat this? I broke down and admitted that, yeah, I, I was, and I, I couldn't figure it out on my own. I had tried twice and failed both times. And at that point they said, well, would you be willing to go into treatment if we can find somewhere? And I said, yeah. And that was when we ended up finding Restart. At Restart, members participate in a number of activities that are designed to reacquaint them with life outside of digital screens. The house they stay in has a garden right outside, where members will spend time cultivating crops that they use in their meals. And these meals are also treated as a special bonding experience, where everyone learns how to properly make food for themselves and others around them. The dishes are split up amongst the group so that one person might be flipping burger patties while another roasts mushrooms or makes the salads. After all the cooking is done, the food is dished out and passed around to everyone at the dinner table during a communal meal. It's a call back to earlier memories in America of everyone gathered around a dinner table. No TVs taking up our attention, no plates being carried up to a bedroom to eat alone. They participate in a daily exercise routine, not just to get their minds and bodies in better shape, but also as a way to give them short-term goals to focus on. Video games are especially good at giving you a sense of leveling up, granting you tiny upgrades here and there, always having something else around the corner to keep you playing. With exercising, Restart allows them to channel that way of thinking into something real and physical. They even have leaderboards so they can see how they're doing compared to their peers, not unlike online game rankings they were used to checking out every day. I got to participate for a day as if I was enrolled in the program, which meant I was able to do some gardening, listen in on a group counseling session, prepare a meal together, and get my exercise on. And I was surprised at how hardcore the workout was. I mean, granted, I'm not in the best of shape, but I was sore for a couple of days after that. And it made me just realize how important your physical health is to your mental health. And not only are these kids getting in shape, but they're getting in touch with nature. They're growing their own food and learning how to prepare it. Some of these things just seem so basic, almost primal. But it goes to show you how far removed from just basic life skills our modern-day culture can sometimes be. When they're not farming or cooking or working out, sometimes they're just being bored. On purpose. They want them to get acclimated again to what life is like when you don't have gadgets to take up time that could be better spent thinking about your goals and your future. It can be hard at first, and almost seem like a shock to the system. But over time, the members at Restart generally come to like this new way of life, as Charles explained. Finding a way to live and not need it has just been really freeing and really uplifting. Honestly, I've been a lot happier this past year and a half than I had in probably the last two decades beforehand.
Ironically, over the past few years, we've seen an uptick in programs and phone applications that monitor our digital usage and sometimes try to flat out block it. Personally, I use a program called Rescue Time, which tracks all of my computer and phone usage day and night, then sends me a report at the end of the week showing how much time I spend on certain games and websites. It even gives me a productivity score and summarizes where unproductive time is going. The first week I used it was eye-opening. Turns out, I was spending hours on Twitter when it only felt like a few minutes here and a few minutes there. Same with news websites. Once I started seeing where my hours were going, I couldn't help but want to make changes with how much time I spent on these websites. I needed a piece of technology in order to tell me how much time I was using technology. It's a little odd to think about, but hey, if it works, it works, right? Another popular type of application are those that reward you for not using your phone. Forest is one that lets you set timers, and if you make it through the entire length of time without using your phone, you're rewarded with digital trees that grow in your digital forest. Over time, you plant more digital trees, so it feels like you're making progress towards something. And what's kind of cool is that if you have the upgraded version of Forest, the company will actually plant real trees for you if you can stay off your phone long enough. But if trees aren't really your thing, there's an application called Milk that might be a little more enticing. The name of our startup is Milk the Moment, and we have a mobile application that we call Milk for short that rewards you whenever you refrain from using your phone in places or situations where we all should be a little more present or intimate, focused and safe. So our app encourages you to do that. And when you do that, you're activating the app, locking the phone, putting it away. And the app begins to accrue points every minute that the phone is not in use. And once you have enough points, you can redeem those points for some type of reward that is built into the app. That's Courtney Coco Eason. With her Milk application, you can get things like gift cards for staying off of your phone. Her epiphany for this program came to her at her previous job when she had problems getting everyone's attention, which can be an issue when your job is literally to get everyone's attention. My background is in music and entertainment. I used to work in the music industry in Nashville. I did a lot of uh, music events, a lot of concerts, music festivals. And uh, I'm kind of what you call the hype girl. So before the show gets started, I'm in charge of getting on the stage, getting everybody's hands in the air, screaming, and just kind of getting them ready for the show. And I just noticed that year after year, it just seemed like the crowd participation was just declining. And I thought it was maybe me. Maybe I was kind of losing my mojo until I reviewed some video footage. And I saw that everybody was on their phone. Uh, everybody was too busy texting, scrolling, taking selfies or recording the entire event rather than being present. It not only frustrated me, it frustrated some of the celebrities that I was bringing out to my concerts. I mean, they were even asking me backstage, hey, could you do something to get everybody off of their phones? Could you make announcements? And nothing was working. So one day after an event, I was just super frustrated with, with the audience, and, and that's how I came up with the Milk app. And sometimes, the goal isn't to eliminate technology completely. You don't have to spend your life in a cabin lit up only by candles, completely off the grid. Part of life is finding a good balance. Yeah, that's very true. After Charles left the Restart program, it was super important for him to find that balance and to hold himself accountable for his usage with technology. What does technology look like for you now, having 
realize that you need to set parameters. My technology use is a lot more monitored now than it ever has before. I don't play any form of video game. I don't even allow myself like Sudoku on my phone or a crossword or anything. You know, I, I run uh, monitoring software that will let my accountability partners know how much I'm using my phone and what apps I use, how long at any given time, uh, so that I can't you know, sit down and watch Netflix for six hours or something along those lines. I don't allow myself to use my computer in you know, isolated scenarios, um, so it never goes in my bedroom. It's always out at the, the dinner table. And so it's really just a lot more awareness of how much I'm using technology, what I'm doing with it, and being open to feedback of any time I'm doing something that I really probably shouldn't be doing on there. As time goes on and the technology we use ages, more studies are done and more issues come to light. Sometimes it's not about how much you use technology, but what you're using it for. As an example, recent reports have indicated that Instagram, the photo sharing social media application with over 700 million users, seems to be the most damaging to your mental health. There is a tendency for users to only show the highlights of their lives, essentially curating their own image. This makes sense. I mean, who really wants to post a bunch of bad photos of themselves? Who wants to portray an image to the world that their life isn't that exciting? We want others to like us, to approve of us in some sort of way, but the downside to this is we're not seeing the real lives of others on Instagram as well. Instead, it's photo after photo of someone traveling on vacation to a place you wish you could go, or some fitness guru who has the type of body you've always dreamed about or even your close friends hanging out at the coolest looking party while you're stuck pulling a late shift at work. Essentially, people are living out two lives, the curated one we show the public and the one we live privately. For ages, there has always been this duality, but the internet and our social media networks have added a new twist to the situation. Our other identity used to be relegated to physically going into the public space or having people over for company at your home. Now, you're connected to the public at all times. It's always there, and it seems to be affecting our moods and decision-making. There's a certain pressure that comes with wanting to snap photos from your life, not to keep and look at later, but purely to post for others to see. Wanting others to think you're doing great in life. This produces feelings of inadequacy, fear of missing out, and even anxiety and depression in some. All things that tend to help fuel our tech addiction, which puts us further into the cycle. And if you want to pull out of that cycle, it can be hard. Why? Because so much of our daily lives have become dependent on technology, even beyond our cell phones and gaming consoles. Our banking systems now largely run online, as do our airports and many other businesses we depend on. Naturally, as companies look for ways to cut costs, they've introduced more digital tech we have to interact with in order to use their products and services. If you want to run your own home security camera system, odds are it's going to be connected to your internet and home computers. It's the cost you pay for being able to stream your home camera to your cell phone at any time of day. Personal health tracking devices and wearables offload data onto your computer or phone so you can track your progress. Many people with medical issues rely on electronic devices to literally save their lives. In a sense, our whole developed world has become addicted to technology and it's very reliant on it. It's everywhere we go, whether you're scanning your own items at the self-checkout in the grocery store or printing out photos from your phone at a kiosk. 
And that's all before we get to another big part of our lives that requires technology. Many of our jobs. It's rare to work in a corporate position without needing access to email. Thousands of employees are now working remotely where they can spend hours every day working on computers in order to pay the bills. In fact, when I was thinking back to every single job I've had, even the first one I got at a pizza place when I was 16, I realized I had to interact with computers at every single one. When you're at home, you have more control over temptations. You can keep your laptop in a bag or your cell phone in another room. But when your way of living requires you to log on online five days a week, it can be harder to resist that temptation outside of working hours as our days bleed into our nights. The good news about the times we live in is there's so much more awareness about our technology addiction now than there was 20, 30 years ago. When we first get our new shiny toys, there's a tendency to go overboard for a while. We may not have understood the risks and negative consequences of our new gadgets, but we certainly have a lot more information about it now, thanks to the countless years of research being done all over the globe. Sherry Turkle is a professor at MIT who has spent much of her career focusing on how humans psychologically deal with technology. Her book, The Second Self, was published in 1984 and shed light on how technology can change the way we think, at a time when personal computing was just starting to become a thing. Since then, she's done a lot more research and continues to publish new findings. One particularly interesting discovery she found is how technology has changed the way we feel lonely. There's a great truth in psychology that if you don't teach your children to be alone, they'll only know how to be lonely. And this constant connection, our turning to our devices almost instinctively, that almost a panic of disconnection if we're not connecting, it worries me that we're only going to feel isolated if we, we're not going to learn how to have the, the kind of solitude that sustains us. Her more recent books shed light on this isolation and the effect technology has on our relationships. Thanks to the work of her and her colleagues, we can make more informed decisions about our tech usage because we know what the repercussions can be. And I think the very existence of places like Restart Life raises awareness and provides hope for those who feel like they may be alone in their struggles. When I asked Hillary about her thoughts on the future of tech usage, she had some ideas for us on how to do better. I certainly hope that people will more and more recognize that there's a problem and recognize as parents that they need to be more aware than they currently often are and sort of how to help their kids grow up normally and yeah. if they're adults and finding themselves falling into an addictive pattern being able to recognize that and pull themselves out of it. And when I talked with Alex, another member of Restart Life, he had some advice for others out there struggling with tech addiction. Really the, be the best thing I can say is to just be with people, be around other people, make friends in the real world, have real life experiences. Don't just have everything through a phone or a device. That's as simple as I can put it. The internet and our cell phones were made to connect us with one another, but they're far from being the only things that connect us. Our technology often works best when it's used as a starting point to facilitate something else in the real world. I've met some amazing people thanks to meetup groups I found online, both personally and professionally. 
I would have never met them otherwise. I've also come across some of my absolute favorite bands thanks to online recommendations. I didn't have to wait for a magazine to be written and printed about some new album. Instead, someone sent me a link. I listened to it, I loved it, I bought the album, and I got to see them in concert when they came to my city, which I also found out about thanks to alerts set up online. We're still looking for personal connections, the same exact thing humanity has been looking for for thousands of years. Our interactions will surely change and morph due to new developments we ourselves create in the tech world. No one knows where this is all going. But at the end of the day, we're still people. That is, until we're turned into machines after the robo-uprising. But that'll never happen, right? Thanks for listening to Reconnecting Roots. To learn more about the TV series, watch video clips, and more, go to reconnectingroots.tv. Feel free to rate us or leave a comment on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts so we can keep the conversation going. Until next time. <laughs>